Today is number three of the identity series. And I'm very excited about it because we're going to get a little more practical today. It's not just about hanging, hanging you and your understanding of who you are up in the rafters in the heavenlies. Although Paul clearly said in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 that he has made, he's raised us together in Christ. He's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This phrase all over the New Testament, in Christ, is so critical because it's one that you now, as a believer, need to be renewing to your, your thinking to as who you are in this moment, not who you used to be, B.C., before Christ. But now, in this moment, you are a new creation. Life has changed. You are not the same old person just with another chance but you're a whole new kind of being in the earth of which Jesus was the prototype. He was the firstborn of the new creation of God. And now you are a part of that. 120 came into being on the day of Pentecost. Peter walked out of that upper room filled with the Holy Spirit, the people saying that he must be drunk. But he said, no, 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 it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. It's just the third hour. And he said, we are not drunk as you suppose, but that which the prophet Joel spoke of I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh is now being fulfilled among you. And he preached a message where he said, this same Jesus whom you crucified, the Lord, God has made him both Lord, boss, master, king, and Christ. He is the anointed one. He is our high priest. He has taken our place. He is Lord. He's the boss. He is priest. He is provider. He stands in intercession between us and the Father. 1 Timothy says there is one man mediator between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. We're thankful for Jesus this morning. If you are, somebody say amen. Uh, on the screen today, our series text is found in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And it, read it if you would please with me. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. The phrase, belongs to Christ, is that phrase, in Christ, okay, in the original. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, we identify with him because when he died on the cross, we were in him. When he was buried, we were in him. When he was raised, we were in him. When he, was, when he ascended and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, we sat down with him. And as believers, we walk in a degree of authority that most believers never understand. They never tap into all of the blessings and the benefits that Jesus died so you could have. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the only man in history who ever wrote his own will, the New Testament, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. He died in order to put it into effect and then he rose again from the dead to become the executor over his own estate to see to it that it would be carried out. And you are an inheritor. You, your, your name is in the will. You've got a new name. It's written down in glory. Come on. And it's an indelible ink. It cannot be blotted out of the, 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 the book of life. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give him praise. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Our message text this morning is from Romans chapter 12, two verses. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God 
because of all he has done, past tense, for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And he goes on to say, this is truly the way to worship him. Worship is not just hands raised, songs sung. Worship is not just going through the motions in the service on Sunday morning. Worship is the life we live seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. God has called us to be worshipers. Come on, somebody, say amen. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God what? What's that word? Transform. Let God transform you into a, there it is again, everybody say it, new person by what? Changing the way you think. King James says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Go ahead to the next, next part of the second verse. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The King James says that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you for grace that abounds over and over and over. Thank you today that we recognize our desperate need for you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But because Jesus now lives in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, thank you that we can do all things through the one who strengthens us, this Christ man, this Jesus. We ask you today to be in the words that I speak. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I pray that you would be ears and eyes and hearts open Lord, in the, in the people this morning, that we would hear the gospel, that we would repent and believe, that we would embrace the promises of God, that we would stand firm in the faith. I thank you for this. Only by your grace and your mercy can we do that. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and all of God's people said, amen. One thing, one thing, I use this little tool and it's reiterated numerous times through the message so that if you don't get anything else, you get the one thing. And the one thing, bottom line, about the message this morning is this. Read it out loud with me. Repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing benefits. Say it with me. Repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing. You're about 80%. Come on, like you mean it. Everybody across the whole room. Repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing benefits. John came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus reiterated, echoed that same sentiment as he began his ministry. Opening of every gospel, every Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand in the sense in two things, proximity, nearness, and time. It's Everything that you thought was going to be one of these days, it's now. It's showing up. Jesus is the kingdom. Jesus is the king. We are the dominion. We're the domain. The land over which he rules is the soil of our souls, our hearts. He says repent, and the word repent is not come to the altar and make a show 
squall around and, you know, do whatever you do and go through the motions. Now, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that. If you're emotional, there's nothing wrong with, with crying at the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying that that's not what it's all about. The real bottom line of repentance is the idea of changing your mind and changing your behavior. Everybody say, change your mind, change your behavior. Go back for me one more time to that portion of Romans chapter 12, and I want you to see verse 2. Thank you, team, in the back, because this is what I want to underline. But let God, say it with me like you mean it, everybody, transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. The way you think is critical. Every one of you in the room are facing problems this morning, but I want to tell you, your problem is not the problem. It's how you think about the problem that's the problem. We have an enemy. His name is Satan or Satan, the adversary, the devil, the, the, the diabolos, literally in the Greek. He's the one who hurls these accusations, dia through, balos, to hurl through. He brings these spirits, which I believe are these thoughts that are looking a place for a place to find a foothold in us and he comes to steal and kill and destroy and Jesus says just don't let him find a foothold don't let him have a place where he can get a hold of you and hang on he says but I've come that Jesus said I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly and I want to tell you that yes we have an adversary we have an enemy his name is Satan but really that's not the problem as much as what you think about him is the problem how many of you know Jesus completely, totally defeated him at the cross 2,000 years ago? Paul wrote to Romans and he said in chapter 16, he says, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. How many of you know Satan's place is under your feet? He will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And it's amazing how sometimes folks separate their toes and Satan looks up between them and says, boo, and just scares you to pieces. He's under your feet. Your problem is not the problem. It's what you think about the problem that's the problem. Even your addiction is not the problem. There's a root cause that makes you go back and choose that flavor. And we want to get you healed of what the root is and not beat you up because of what you're stuck in right now. <laughs> Repentance. Change your mind. Change your behavior. You can't change your behavior until you change your mind. Repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing benefits. Repentance is not just something that's done once. When we come to Christ, I have to repent regularly. I have to change my thinking because worldly ideas have marinated my thinking in everything that I do. It's just I'm, I'm hit with social media. I'm, I'm, I'm washed over on a regular basis by entertainment and media and everything that Hollywood is putting out and stuff that's on the airwaves and the radio and the, 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 the milieu, the, the, the particular the, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age that is all around us. And there is one in the Mid-South. You might not know that, but there is one all over this place. There is an apathy that just doesn't care. There is an ignorance that keeps us bound. And I want you to know that God has a solution for every one of those things. In place of the apathy, God wants some passion, some people that are on fire for the things of the kingdom of God. In the place of ignorance, he wants to educate us. He wants to lead us to the point that there's, show us that there's some wisdom, there is some knowledge. My people, Hosea says, are destroyed because of a lack of, say it, knowledge. We need knowledge. 
There's poverty, and the poverty doesn't have to rule over us because Jesus has provided for us everything that we will ever need and then some. Somebody say amen. And in the middle of all of this, there are four big ruling ideas in the Mid-South, and the fourth one is prejudice. Apathy, just don't care, indifferent to everything. Ignorance, we need to be educated. We need to get into the Word. We need to be people of the Word, not just own a copy of the Bible. It is the most bought book in the history of man, and yet it's the most unread book in the United States of America. You need to be a man of the Word. You need to be a woman of the Word. You need to get it and hide it in your heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide means to treasure it. It means to put it in a place of honor. Oh, help me, Jesus. Repentance. I have to change my mind. So many times the gospel has been reduced to a, a kind of a system of sin management in the, in the South. And at most, it's a home in heaven or it's, a, it's fire insurance from hell. And folk never do believe that God wants to do other things for them just besides saving them and giving them an address on a golden street in the future somewhere. When folk realize that Jesus died on the cross and he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed and healing is a benefit in the covenant. I had to repent of old thinking that told me that God didn't do that anymore. See, repentance is not always about turning from sin. Repentance is about turning from a bad idea and certainly sin is a bad idea. Say it. Say sin is a bad idea. So we've got to change our thinking and then we'll change our behavior. The Greek word for repentance in the New Testament is the Greek word metanoia. Noema is the word for mind. Meta, we, if you remember in, what, 10th grade biology where you learned how the caterpillar is transformed into the butterfly and we call that metamorphosis. Meta means change. Morphu is form. So... It, 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 it spins its own grave clothes in a cocoon and for months dies and emerges as something entirely new and has to struggle in order to push the, the blood or whatever it is that a butterfly has through its wings so that it can fly. And so it emerges from the cocoon transformed and that's the picture that has been used for the new creation in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old life is gone. No more caterpillar but there's a whole new, whole new being, whole new kind of a thing. It's this thing of beauty instead of this grub worm. How many of you hearing me this morning? Metanoia, change your mind. As Bible-believing Christians, we believe that your belief dictates your behavior. What you believe about God is going to determine how you behave toward God. If your God is angry, and he's basically a warmed-over version of a uh, a, a Roman mythological Jupiter or let's say Greek, the Greek mythology Zeus, if he's this angry God that's watching over the brow of the hill of heaven ready to bust you upside your head when you miss it, then you're going to live a life of fear because you think that God is just ready to put the hurt on you all the time. And religion says, Ooh, I've messed up. I better not tell dad. But the gospel is totally upside down. I've messed up. I need to call my dad. Come on. God loves you. If, if, if he has anybody's picture on the refrigerator in his kitchen in heaven, he's got your mug shot up there. 
Got your mug, your face, your mugging. He's a selfie. He sees who you are. He, he cares about what you're going through. We need to change our belief and our behavior will respond. If I, if I believe something about every, all the people around me, then I will behave toward them in a certain kind of way. If I believe something about myself, that's going to dictate all of my behavior, how I treat others, how I react toward God, how I react toward you. And so I just want to tell you, we've made God in our image. We've made God with, with a likeness that is not who He is. He made us in His image, and man turned around, religious man, and made God in all kinds of ways. I'm not going to chase that rabbit. But I want you to see this morning is that we need to repent. We need to change our thinking. Everybody say, change your mind. Repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing benefits. Point number two, man is a three-part being. Man is a three-part being. Say this, I am a spirit. Say it with me. I am a spirit. Say, I have a soul. And I live in a body. The body is your earth suit. You have to have one of these to have expression in this realm. If people go to outer space and they're in the space station or if they go to the moon, you have to wear a moon suit because the atmosphere is different there. If you're going to breathe, you have to have something that is acclimates you to where you're from. You're, you're an earth person, okay? So you need an earth suit. This, this skin on bones with blood running, a blood pump, and I'm breathing and blood is circulating and I'm thinking this is the ability that God has given me to have expression on the planet. I don't cease to live when the suit's gone. I just don't have any expression here anymore. You following me? So I am a spirit. That's the part of me that lives forever. But I have a soul and I live in a body. And the whole purpose of redemption is that God wants to save my soul and then transform my body so that the mortal puts on immortality. Okay? I, I groan for my house from heaven. Again, it's not about a 40-room mansion, but it's about having a whole new body in a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, 2 Peter says. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 say it this way. If you would, let's read it together. Now, may the God of what? God of peace. Say it with me. Make you holy in every way, and may your what? Whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Say it again. Spirit. Say it again. Spirit, soul, body. One more time. Spirit. Soul, body. Repeat after me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. Thank you, team. You, you, I, I, I backed up on you, so you, that wasn't your fault. That was mine. Go ahead. Click. Okay. God will make this happen. Read it with me. God will make this happen for he who calls you is what? See, even when you're not, he still is. How many of you know you're not, your relationship right now is not based on what you did or didn't do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. Come on, somebody. Now, I'm distinguishing between your relationship and your fellowship because guess what? You can blow it and it can put some static between in the communication line between you and the Father. But the relationship doesn't change. Birth is final. Once you become part of that family, you've got that name, you're... You come out of the womb and you're sucking air, guess what? You're, 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 a, you're an earthling. You are here. You can't be unborn. All right? Just the same way in the kingdom of God. You become part of the family of God. God 
takes His Holy Spirit, puts a new heart in you and a new spirit in you. He breathes His life into you. And you who were once dead in trespasses and sins are now made alive in Christ. By grace are we saved through faith, Ephesians 2. Come on. Man, I feel good this morning. I got on a coat I hadn't worn in 15 years, and man, it, it, it fits right, and I'm, I, it may be out of style, I don't know, but I, I just said, I'm going to wear that coat today. Praise God. I, I, I feel good in this coat. Mm. Yeah. I know I look good, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of teasing, okay? Here we go. Three parts. Everybody say spirit. Go ahead and put that up for me. I want you to see this. This is the Greek word pneuma. You go to a car shop. You go down here to John Deere where they're working on tractors, and they're pulling nuts and bolts and all that stuff and what's holding all that iron and steel together. And they'll use a pneumatic tool. It's air-driven. Truck drivers have brakes that are pneumatic. They are air-powered, okay? And the word pneuma means wind, breath, or spirit. So we're talking about the spirit of man. This is literally the Bible word when we talk about our heart. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's not the blood pump here in the middle of your chest with the two ventricles and two auricles and do 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 pumping the blood through your circulatory system, but the heart of man is literally the spirit, and it's we're talking about here in the gut. We're talking about the Bible says in Proverbs twenty twenty seven, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Everybody know you need your candle lit. Look at your neighbor and say, "Let's get lit in Jesus." <laughs> the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the. Belly, that's interesting because it's from the gut. And that's why the old timers used to talk to you about I have got a gut feeling because it was the spirit that was giving them an unction because it's the spirit that is the seat of intuition. It's things that you know that you know that you know, but you can't prove it in a laboratory. It's not empirically evidenced, but it's something that you can, you just sense it. You just know it. You know it's either right or you know it's wrong. You've got a knower inside of you that when you hear truth, it has a ring to it. Yes, that's it. Yes, I sense that. Yes. And the Bible says that the Spirit, capital S, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So, that Spirit of God that is in us is the affirmation. It brings the confirmation. It, it's what we know that we know that we know down in our knower. First John 2 says, You have an unction of the Holy One and you know all things. Well, I didn't know that I knew all things. But something inside of me knows all things. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I have the mind of Christ inside me. The problem I have is I just don't always let it. Are you following me this morning? Come on. All right. Second thing is your soul. It is the Greek word suke. We get the English word psyche. The study of the psyche is psychology. Okay? It's where we have our mind, our will, and our emotions. And I'm going to expand on this one in just a moment because this is the part that we're talking about needing renewal. Thirdly this morning, our body. And your body's not the enemy. Your body is not evil. Recognize this. There's a huge misunderstanding in the New Testament when people read the word flesh and they think it's talking about body. Flesh speaks of the old sin nature. It is not skin on your bones. 
Now, and the confusing thing is that sometimes it's used the other way as well. Jesus told his disciples to pray. He pulled three of them out, Pete, Jim, and John. Here they go. They're going up the mountain. They're into the garden. He says, tarry with me one hour. Jesus is sweating drops of blood just prior to his crucifixion, and he comes back and finds the disciples asleep, middle of the night, and he says, the spirit is willing, but the, say it, the flesh is weak. Now, obviously, the sin nature is weak. Actually, it's pretty strong. Here it's talking about your body, when you're tired and you need sleep, when you're hungry and you need to eat, okay? When you need to breathe, when you need something to drink, the flesh is weak. He says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So when we're talking about the body, you need to get a newer translation so that you recognize that every time the word in the King James flesh is used, it isn't always talking about your body. And so many people in the Bible Belt South think their bodies are evil and your bodies are a gift from God. Especially when it's working right. Glory to God. Body, soma. We have somatotypes. Well, that's a big $100 word. If you're endomorphic, which is where I am, I tend to, I, I can put on muscle really fast, but because of that, I can put on weight. I can put on fat really fast too. And maybe be a little bit pear-shaped, you know. And I'm just... Just telling it like it is. Or maybe you're on the other end of the extreme and you're the bean pole, you're the ectomorph. These are called somatotypes. It's categorizations of your body. Or if you're in the middle, when the one that everybody wants to have, I wish I had, but the mesomorph, that's just the natural born, athletic, lots of muscle, metabolism through the roof, eat whatever the heck you want to eat anytime. I just want to slap them in the name of Jesus. I just bind you, every one of you that are mesomorphs. So I'm, I'm acknowledging what I've got to work with and trying the best to, to do what, best with what I can. Everybody has to do that. So I want you to see this. When we combine the soul and the body together, there are people sometimes, because of their state of mind, their mentality, their mindset, their worry, their anxiety, end up with what we call psycho soul, mind, somatic body, it's the mind-body connection. When you have a psychosomatic disease, doctors have no physiological reason to justify why you're having the symptoms you're having, but other than the fact that your mind has gotten away with you and you're worrying yourself sick. You understand that? So all these words have some significance to them, and the reason that I'm taking the time to show you this is because this whole middle ground called the soul. Go ahead and give me the next uh, if you would, the next point, soul matters. Remember, on the way, repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing benefits. We were told that God would make us a new person in Romans 12 too, by changing the way we think. Everybody say that. By changing the way we think. Metanoia, repent, change your mind, change your behavior, Okay. Soul matters. When we talk about the soul, it is this middle one between the spirit and the body. It makes sense that if I want to live out of who I am now, a fully new created, old is gone, new is here person in my spirit, that the issue that I've got to deal with is all of the memories that are hanging around from my past. This is why it's so important to have a children's ministry that is grounded in the Word of God and a youth ministry that is drawing students and, and young men and young women so that they can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and they can start young following Jesus. 
Now, let me just say this. As long as you have breath in your lungs, it's never too late to, to, for, for God to change you, transform you, for you to be born again, to become a member of the family of God, to, to, to experience the new birth. But I want to just say this to you. The longer you wait before that happens, the more stuff you're going to have to work through, the more memories of the old past that you're going to have to deal with, the, the old patterns of behavior that you're going to have to renovate. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. Everybody say renewing. The Greek word for renew is renovate. How many of you ever renovated your house before? What did you do before you built in the new? What did you do? You tore out the old. Renovation is loud. It's destructive. It's painful. It's inconvenient. Pardon our dust. We're in a reconstruction. And before you reconstruct, you have to deconstruct. You have to tear something out. You have to remove an old way of thinking. You have to establish that I can't live that way anymore. Now, it's not just as a Christian. How many of you know that when you make the decision, men, young men in the room, and you make a decision and you find the one, and you save your money and you go buy an engagement ring, and in the right place you pop the question, you get on your knee and you say, will you? And she says yes, and you slip the ring on her finger. How many of you know you can't keep living like a single guy? Because you've got a new identity. You've got a new relationship that's dictating how you behave and who you spend time with and, and, and really what your affection is directed toward. Come on, don't shout me down this morning. How many of you see this? It's the same way when we come to Christ. We're the bride of Christ and I have a new affection. I've got a new lover and his name is Jesus. I can't live like I used to live. Come on. I'm looking at Mrs. Jesus Christ this morning. How many of you know you're the bride of Christ? All oh, the brothers are going, now wait a minute. See, listen to me. If the ladies in the room can be called a son of God, then guys, you can be called the bride of Christ. It's just, it's just an analogy. Don't lose your mind over it. It's not literal. Because the women in the room are sons of God. They're not daughters of God. They're sons of God because the son had the place of the authority of the father. And the women are not less than the men because in Christ there is neither male nor what? Female. Bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. In Christ, we are all one. We're all the same. Come on, how many are thankful we're in Christ? So it makes sense that I recognize because the spirit is willing and the body, the flesh is weak, the thing that I need to get under control is where my thinking is. Because if I have a weak understanding of who I am and I'm still living out of who I used to be, my soul will gravitate toward my body and my spirit's left out here. I'm still, nothing's changed. I'm still a new creation. But now, now I'm a new creation who has momentarily forgot who I am and I'm sinning. Yes, I'm a saint of God. Saints still sin. Saint doesn't mean you're perfect. Saint doesn't mean you're sinless. Come on, somebody. The whole New Testament every time refers to you now in Christ as a saint in Christ Jesus. Now the soul has three parts, just like the, we have three parts, spirit, soul, and body. The soul has three parts. Go ahead and put that up. My mind is what I think. Say it with me. My will is what I want. My emotions are what I feel. Now what's wrong with this? Well, it's fine until I've got a new master until Jesus is the Lord over my life. 
Lord is a churchy religious word. Let me tell you exactly what it means. Let's put it in, in street language. When I say Jesus be Lord, I'm saying be the boss of my life. That means what I think is not as critical anymore as it used to be. I have to submit what I think to what he thinks. I have to bow my will just like Jesus did. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And my emotions, do not let them rule you. Just because you feel like you're worthless doesn't mean you're worthless. Just because you feel angry doesn't mean you have to let your senses rule over you. Come on, somebody. So when Jesus said, if you will lose your life for my sake, then I will give you eternal life. It's interesting there in the Gospels when he said, if you'll, if you'll lay down your life, it's the word suke. If you will lay down your soul life, what is your soul? Say it. Say mind, will, Emotions. If I will lay down my soul life, what I think, what I want, what I feel, and I will say, God, you think higher thoughts than I think. God, your will is greater than what I want. Your emotions and how you feel about me are such so much more important than what I feel about myself in this circumstances. And you know what? I'm not going to let how I feel dictate anything anyway. I'm going to do what I sang this morning. I am who you say I am. Come on. And your word says, I'm righteous. I am who you say I am. My, my friends have rejected me, but your word says, I'm accepted in the beloved. Are you following me this morning? The enemy's accusing me. He says that I am, I'm, a, I'm a low down, no good sinner, but your word says, I am forgiven. You paid it for me. You bought it for me. You paid the price. You shed your blood, the most precious thing in the known universe so that I could, I could be accepted because you were rejected. I could be forgiven because you were beaten and bruised for me. Come on, somebody. So I am who you say I am. My mind is what I think. My emotions are what I feel. I mean, yes, my will is what I want. My emotions are what I feel. So Jesus says, if I'll be willing to lay down my suke. My mind, what I think, my will, what I want, my emotions, what I feel. Then he will give me his Zoe life. That is what he thinks and what he wants and what he feels. And how many of you know it's always greater than what I want and what I think and what I feel? Repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing benefits. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? All right. Point number four. This is where we get intensely practical. Renew your mind. Renovate your life. Last point. i got to tear out some old stuff. I've got to build in some new stuff. Every time the Apostle Paul writes, and he's credited with almost two-thirds of the New Testament, 14 out of 27 books, and every time he writes to the church in a city, he, the first half of the book, he will hang them in the heavenlies and tell them what their position in Christ is. He will say, now because of Christ and what he has done, this is who you are. But the second part of every book, he brings them back, not out of the heavenlies, but he puts their feet back firmly on the terra firma to get them grounded and say, now this is what your condition in the world is. And there's some static, there's some dissonance between who you are in Christ, your position and your condition. And I want to show you how you can adjust your condition to match your position. 
Because your condition will drag you back into who you used to be when your position right now is fully who you are in this moment in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses or chapters 1 through 3, it's just this magnificent discourse of how we've been chosen in him in Christ before the foundation of the world. But when you get to chapter 4, 5 and 6, he said, "If you're a thief, quit stealing. No sexual immorality, no impurity should be named among you, chapter 5. And so he brings all of this awareness to, I've told you who you are, now don't forget who you are, don't turn around and forget who you are, because now I want you to see that you can't keep living like all of the rest of the ungodly are, because they're not in Christ, they're in Adam, and in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. Are you following me this morning? All right, just listen. I'm going to go old school here for just a couple of minutes. It's my leather-bound ESV. I want to read, okay? Just listen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Ephesians 1.1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That wasn't two or three special people. That was everybody in the Ephesian church. Everybody say, that's me. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, in Christ, there it is, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him. You see the words in Him, that's just another way of saying in Christ. Okay? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Another way of saying in Christ. Okay? Now, He just paints this amazing picture and He goes over here. The, the prayers of Paul are wonderful places for you to pray out loud and confess over your own life. Listen to what he says. He says, for this reason, verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Isn't that interesting? I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that. God, thank you for wisdom and revelation. Thank you that you help me to see and make a good decision. I'll take Paul's prayers and pray them over my own life. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's your spirit, man. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's the third time in one chapter he's called you a saint. You go to any southern churchianity church that's nothing but religion and legalism and they're going to beat the fire out of you and tell you over and over and over that you ain't nothing but a no good sinner and you're going to go out and sin every day this week. And I'm telling you that you can't be dead and alive at the same time. Do you still sin? Yes. But if we sin, the scripture says we have an advocate with the Father, 1 John chapter 2, Jesus Christ. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I live out of who I am now and not who I used to be. Come on, somebody. Wow. And he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places? 
Chapter 2, he says, you were dead, now you're alive. Verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. He says that you now have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom, in him, in Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You don't show up here on Sunday morning because this is where God is. When you show up, he's here because he showed up. He's inside you. Come on, somebody. He's in you. Man, one and two and three just begin to develop till he makes this thing swell into this amazing crescendo. Now listen how he changes his tone in chapter four. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now this is not for preachers. This is every saint who is called of God to bear witness to who they are now in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, that's me. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Good stuff. Let me roll on. He says in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have been them, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Are you following me? Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. To put off your old self. It's like a dirty, tattered, worn, smelly, full of body odor garment. Take it off. Don't try to wash it. Throw it away. It's your old, former way of life. Take it off. Put off the old self, he says. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There it is right there. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Everybody say the new self. Put on. It's like, it's like okay, so you've, you've, got a, you've got a piece of clothing that's tattered and torn and it's smelly. And so you take that off, but then you put on the new garment that fits you that's clean, that's the robe of righteousness that identifies with who you are now and not who you used to be. Take off your beggar's garment because you're not a beggar anymore. You're a king's kid. You've got a ring of authority on your finger. You've got shoes that give you the ability to have a new walk. You've got a robe of righteousness that shows your relationship with the Heavenly Father. Come on, somebody. What are you talking about, Pastor? How many remember when the prodigal took all that he had in his inheritance and went and squandered it in a faraway place on prostitutes and, and on wanton, rivalrous, wine-bibbing and gluttony and debauchery and 
bacchanalian living and all this kind of stuff, and he wakes up in a pig pen, and he said, you know what? The hired hands at my daddy's house live better than I do. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven and earth. And I, I want you to make me as one of your hired servants. And the scripture says in Luke, Luke 15, when, when it talks about the, the prodigal son, the one who was lost, the lost son, it says the father saw him while he was afar off. Some, that might describe somebody in this room this morning. You may feel far off from Jesus, but I want to tell you, the Father's never taken his eye off of you. He sees right where you are, and as you take a step toward him, the Scripture says the Father saw him and ran and fell on his neck. I love it, because the neck always speaks of the will. How you know sometimes God has to break our will? The Father saw him and ran to him and kissed him with kisses that broke his will. And established the will of the Father. And he said, you know what, son, I'm glad you're home. And the son tried to go through the thing that he had memorized and prepared. And the father said, no, no, no. Because he knew that he had already repented in his heart. And he says, you know what, come on in here. I'm going to put a new ring on your finger. you got the same authority you used to have. I'm going to put a new robe on your back. I'm going to put new shoes on your feet. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. Because heaven rejoices when one returns. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Are you getting anything out of this? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You know what? You may have been a liar before you came to Christ. Quit your lying. That's not who you are now. Are you seeing how this works? See, every Sunday in so many places, they, you tell, well, you ain't no good. You, you know, you all, and, and you know what? You go out and you live that way. But when you really get the word, you, you quit letting religion control your thinking and you open the Bible for yourself. Come on. You actually read the book and you see yourself in those words and you realize that Jesus died for you and it's personal. And the Holy Spirit is your teacher. He will make it real. Some of you have been in church your whole lives and you've never heard a pastor teach what I'm teaching you this morning because you've never learned who you are in Christ right now. You're always told every Sunday based on who you used to be. Come on, somebody. Man, I'm just going to stop there. That's good. You, you see the point. You see it. I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Put off the old, put on the new. Adjust your condition based upon your, condition, your position in Christ. Adjust your condition based on your position in Christ. I was with Abby in February, and she was just separating some relationships. She was drawing a line of demarcation in her life, and she had culled out things and thrown some stuff away. And she, had, and she said this to me. She said, you know what? I am getting rid of everything that doesn't line up with the purpose of God for my life. I'm sitting on the couch in her apartment and I said, say that again, I'm going to write that down. I'm getting rid of everything that does not line up with the purpose of God in my life. She called us mighty God. If, if believers in church would just understand that. If you ever get a revelation of who you are and the purpose for which God made you alive on this planet. That great theologian Mark Twain said it this way. Two critical days in a man's life. The day he's born and the day he finds out why. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has a whole lot to do with that second one. When you see 
that God chose you before you were ever a glint in your daddy's eye. And he's got a destiny for you. You're a man of purpose. You're a woman of faith. You're a, you are a people of destiny. You've got something down on the inside of you that can't die. You've got the DNA of God in you. You were birthed not of man nor of flesh nor of the will of man. It was out of passion, but it was by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Hallelujah! That means you may miss it, but let me tell you something in the kingdom of God. It's not a failure until you quit. And because Jesus got up out of the grave and he conquered death and he conquered sin and he conquered the curse and he put it all under his, under his feet, I want you to know there is nothing that can keep you back from all that Jesus died for you to have. Except your own stinking thinking. Jesus looked at the Pharisees one day and he said, Boys, you just don't get it. Your traditions make the word of God of no effect. The word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. But if there's something that can hinder it, it's traditional thinking. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking a golden calf to the slaughterhouse this morning. You are who the Father says you are. You have a new identity. I want you to think about it this way. I want you to remember when Jesus finally, four days too late, shows up at the grave of Lazarus and Martha and Mary, are, they're miffed. As the old preacher from Georgia said, they got up under the miff bush. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I believe that in the, at that day that he will stand. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe that, Martha? Do you believe that, Mary? Jesus, who loved Lazarus, these were close personal friends. They came and gave him word that he was sick. And the scripture says Jesus stayed in the same place. Sometimes God doesn't show up when you want him to, but let me tell you, when he does, it's always right on time. Come on. Because Jesus got down and he knelt in, at Lazarus' grave and he wept because, shortest verse of Scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept because he loved Lazarus. He wept because he saw the pain in Martha and Mary's hearts. And he groaned in the spirit and he grieved. He's, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he's tasted death for every man. How many of you know you don't have to taste it if he's already tasted of it for you? You can have eternal life. And he grieved and he groaned and he stood up in that spot. And he didn't just say come forth because if he had the whole graveyard would have gotten up. But he specifically called by name. How many of you know there was a time in your life where God woke you up out of your spiritual death and called you up out of a grave of sin and sickness and disease and curse? And he said, Lazarus, come forth! And the earth shook and the gravestone moved and Lazarus, dead man wrapped in linen strips, comes bouncing out of the, the cave of the grave. Well, hallelujah, he's alive. 
Jesus raised somebody from the dead. But he didn't stop there. He said, loose him and let him go. Loose him from what? He had on some grave clothes. See, this is, this is why we celebrate the waters of baptism because we are literally saying we are burying the old life of sin and now we are being raised in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. And he, they, they said, loose him and let him go. And, and, and sometimes we've got to get in the Word long enough so that we can take the strips of our old kind of thinking off of us. The nasty old body odor of ridden filled corruption all death it's stinking all over it and we've got to take all of those patterns of behavior and that addictive kind of thinking off of us because now on the inside I'm a new creation in Christ hallelujah everybody say loose him and let him go I got one illustration and I'm finished listen please 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 listen it's the most important thing I'm going to say today While walking through the forest one day, a man found a young eagle who had fallen out of his nest. He took it home and put it in his barnyard where it soon learned to eat and behave like the chickens. One day, a naturalist passed by. On the farm, he looked and saw and he asked, why was it that the king of all birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with the chickens? The farmer replied that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. Please hear me. This is a prophetic parable. Since it now behaved as the chickens, it was no longer an eagle. The naturalist replied and said, oh, not so. It still has the heart of an eagle. And surely it can be taught to fly. He lifted the eagle toward the sky and said, You belong in the sky and not the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. And he tossed the eagle up. And the eagle, however, was confused and he did not know who he was. And he, seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumped down to be with them again. The naturalist took the bird to the roof of the house and urged him again, saying, You're an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was afraid of the unknown self and the world, and he jumped down once more for the chicken food. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain. There he held the king of the birds high above him and encouraged him, saying, You are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle looked around, back towards the barnyard and up to the sky. Then the naturalist lifted him straight towards the sun, and it happened that the eagle began to tremble. Slowly he stretched his wings and with a triumphant cry soared away into the heavens. It may be that the eagle still remembers the chickens with nostalgia. It may even be that he occasionally revisits the barnyard. But as far as anyone knows, he has never returned to lead the life of a chicken. And so this morning, I want to tell you, everybody in this room, religious thinking has put us in a barnyard full of chickens. And they've got their favorite authors that write their books, parentally saying the sky is falling, the world is going to crash at any moment. Chicken Little's running around. He's prophesying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. The sky hadn't fallen yet. The eagle, unlike the chickens that scurry in the storm, has the ability to lock his wings in place and fly above the circumstances of the storm.
And I'm telling you in this room, if Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, you're not a chicken, you're an eagle. You are called to higher things. Look at who you are. First of all, look at who he is. And based on who he is, look at what he's made you to be. And then, like Abby said, I'm just, I'm just shucking away everything that doesn't line up with who, my purpose of who I am in God, what he has for me right now. Live out of who you are now and not the memory of who you used to be. Religion thinking, religious thinking will limit you. It will control you. But when you quit having the group think and you get into the word for yourself and you open the book and you say, Holy Spirit, teach me, he will blow your ever-loving mind. Prayers you didn't think ever were possible to be answered, you pray them and he will show up in your life and he will show out in your life because our Father loves us that much. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. Live out of who you are now and not out of, out of who you used to be. One last time. Repentance is the password into the kingdom of God and all its life-changing benefits. This morning, as we bring this service down to a close, we're going to sing this song one more time. Give us clean hands. Some of you in this room are struggling with some stuff and you think you can never overcome it. A thought pattern, a chemical maybe an improper relationship. You know what? We're not going to stone you because you've got a struggle, but we're going to tell you you're called to higher than that. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and heal us, Lord, of our spiritual amnesia. Don't let us get church Alzheimer's where we forget who we really are in Christ and we start living out of the old life again. Bow your hearts with me, please, in this place. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this word. Thank you that, Holy Ghost, you can only do. You can, you're the only one that can penetrate hearts and that can blow the wind of life into someone who's dead inside. Do that right now, Spirit of God. Lord, as, as people turn their focus and their attention to you, and we look to you, and we cross that line of faith, and we say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I lean into you. Be Lord of my life. Call the shots. I lay down my suke, what I think and what I want and what I feel. Reveal to me your purpose and your will, Lord, for my life. In Jesus' name.